Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Thank you, public enemy. I'll take it from here. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm Fugelsang. Welcome to the night spot. This is Tell Me Everything. Classing up What the Fuck O'Clock with you and your loved ones. For the next three hours, we'd love to hear from you guys. We're at 866-997-4748. There's a lot to get to. I hope you had a great weekend. Thea Harper is our executive producer tonight. While Chris House helps off doing whatever his parole officers making him do, I uh, hope you have a good time. Thea is our boss this evening. Thea and I are all alone in the Howard Stern Tower, 267 floors high above Gotham. It is empty here. It is it is barren. It is scary. We are very grateful to have Jake Getz helping us out. And of course, like we always say, whatever Jake wants, you get it. We have some very special guests, uh, two of the classiest gentlemen who have ever done this show, two guys who helped redefine rock for Generation X, two of the stars of the band Living Color, Vernon Reed and Corey Glover, are going to join us later on this hour to talk about Jan Wenner's very unfortunate comments and his deeply unfortunately titled book. We went into this briefly last week, but Living Color put out a great statement about, look, I don't think Jan Wenner intended to do anything racist or sexist, but boy, howdy, did he achieve it. And Living Color put out such a great statement on Instagram that I was so uh, excited to try to get Corey and Vernon back. They're both great artists. Vernon's a terrific guitar player and producer for so many people, um, including Public Enemy. So we're thrilled to have him. We're also going to be joined by the Boston Globe's climate journalist, Sabrina Shankman, very shortly. The news is not good. So um, a lot of great guests coming up later in the week, including the drummer of Radiohead, Phil Selway, which I'm extremely excited about. But let's get to it. Let's do a show. This is Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. I'm wishing everyone had an easy fast. Um, hope you had a holy and blessed Yom Kippur. I want to say if you're if you're Catholic, you know, you get to feel guilt all year long. Just putting that out there. Reminds me of my favorite joke. Ring, ring. Hello. Hi, this is Lauren Boebert. Is Jared Kushner in? No, this is Yom Kippur. Okay, well, can I leave a message, Mr. Kipper? Thank you very much. Starting today, Americans can order free COVID tests from the government's at-home testing program again. If you got your four tests sent to you last year or the year before, that line is reopened. Go check it out. And they'll even let you know if the tests you have at home that are expired are really expired or if they're still good. Now, Republicans only have four working days until the government runs out of money and has to shut down. They are no closer to a solution than they were uh, weeks ago when they came back from the break, due in large part to uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his being really, really bad at the job, just like everyone. And I mean everyone. 
said he would be. He's pushing forward with these 11 appropriations bills. None of them are going to pass in the House. They're not going to pass in the Senate. The Democrats control there. He's already had to withdraw the defense funding bill that failed a basic rule vote. This has happened three times. He can't get the Republicans to agree to fund the military. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's been playing best friend, she has turned on him because, you know, he doesn't like Vladimir Putin slaughtering civilians in Ukraine. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Nazi caucus do. In the Problem Solvers Caucus, 31 Democrats have joined with 31 Republicans in the House to present this alternative continuing resolution to keep the government funded through the second week of January. And McCarthy might actually have to go with that. The big question now is not whether the government will stay open. I, I think they'll find a way to. The big question is, will Kevin McCarthy say suck it to the Nazis in his caucus and work with the Democrats to keep the government open? You know, like adults have always done. The Writers Guild told its 11,500 members last night they had finally reached a tentative deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. This has been a 146-day strike that finally, I think, is on the verge of ending. The CEOs of Disney and Netflix and Warner Brothers and Discovery and NBC Universal, they all stepped in last week. They had meetings with the writers' union. They were trying to question pay issues and benefits. The union put out a statement saying they're not going to return to work until specifically authorized to do so by the Guild. They're still officially on strike. Of course, it's been a very, very long time with the actors' strike as well. Virtually all production of scripted content has been shut down. This new agreement needs to be ratified by a vote of WGA members before being finalized. Um, thank you to all the Democrats who picked a side on this and showed their solidarity. Thank you, Barbara Lee and Katie Porter and Adam Schiff and, uh, and Joe Biden, who will be showing up tomorrow to walk a picket line, which try to see that. Please try to get your kids to see that. This has never happened in American history. Uh, SAG-AFTRA, the union that represents striking actors. Hey, that's my union. I'm still waiting. Now, um, last week we talked about Donald Trump, and I'm glad you got mad at me because I was saying that Donald Trump was uncharacteristically smart and how he was talking about abortion by saying he didn't really like this six-week bans of Ron DeSantis. He was enraging the evangelicals, but, you know, he was trying to reach out for the moderates because he assumes he already has the nomination. And the Biden campaign keeps saying Trump is too extreme. He's too extreme. So I thought, oh, Trump is aware of this and he's going to tone it down now because he's getting a little smarter and he really needs to become president to make the federal charges of him go away. Well, then the weekend came. If you guys weren't paying attention to the news over the weekend, that's 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 okay. I respect you. Your nervous system is probably better than mine. Let's just say that, well, you can kind of tell by Donald Trump's physique that um, impulse control is very difficult for him. And he could not shut what we call the fuck up about things that you probably shouldn't be saying when you're facing 91 charges in four jurisdictions. First of all, a lot of treason talk. He began the weekend by accusing the retiring Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Mark Milley of uh, of treason. After The Atlantic published this really good profile you should read all about how Milley managed the Trump years. Trump posted on Phil Social, this is an act so egregious that in times gone by, the punishment would have been death. And I don't need to tell you this, but he did spell the word death in all caps with an exclamation point. Uh, that's because Mark Milley told the Chinese military that don't worry, we're not going to attack you. Uh, it might seem that way, but we are not going to attack China. You know, <laughs> preventing war is treason. And then 48 hours later, Donald Trump said treason again, but this time 
he was promising to use his second term to go after journalism, specifically the companies that own NBC News, that's Comcast, for their one-sided and vicious coverage. Remember back when he was president and wanted to charge more from the post office for Amazon because he wanted to punish Jeff Bezos for articles he didn't like in the Washington Post? Can we can we stop pretending that this guy's a capitalist? I have never seen in my lifetime a president try to use the power of government to attack private American businesses. A smart Democrat would start pointing that out. So that alone would have been enough to be unhinged. Oh, it got worse. Trump was bragging about his role in the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. But then he said, there'd be no talk of a six-week ban without me, even though he's opposing the six-week ban. So like most homophobes, he likes it both ways. And then the very popular Pennsylvania governor, Josh Shapiro, is implementing automatic voter registration. You can see how fascist someone is by how that scares them. He called it a disaster for the election of Republicans, including your favorite president, me. I don't need to say this, but the word me was in all caps. Uh, And he's right. Yes, automatic voter registration, making it really easy for citizens to vote. That makes it harder for Republicans to win. The more people participate in a democracy, the worse Republicans do. And that's why they pass things like voter ID laws, even though this country has never had a problem with voter impersonation. So then he came out and told the House Republicans that they should totally shut the government down. He wrote in all caps, and need I say, unless you get everything, shut it down. Meaning intervene in his criminal cases, help Putin rape Ukraine, and challenge Biden's border policies, uh, as opposed to Trump's border policies, which is hire undocumented workers to avoid paying American workers a living wage. I mean, it got bad. The White House actually responded to Trump's attack on NBC this morning. Usually they don't do this, but um, White House spokesman Andrew Bates said, uh, uh, you know, to abuse presidential power and violate the constitutional rights of reporters would be an outrageous attack on our democracy and the rule of law. (laughs) In other words, keep talking, big guy. Keep on talking. You're going to get this old man reelected. And that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I swear to God, I look at Biden's poll numbers and I think, yeah, that's that's why they really want Donald Trump to be the opponent. How do you feel about that? Donald Trump is going to be, of course, most likely the nominee, but he has seven criminal trials between now and the Republican convention next summer. By the time we get there, he may well be a convicted felon. He most likely will be. And I'm really on the bandwagon of thinking that the establishment GOP is going to know what a loser he is. He will not be more popular after these trials. He'll be more popular with the people who already like him. But boy, he's going to get dragged through the dirt. And we're not just talking about the Jack Smith federal trial. We're not just talking about the trial about him trying to steal the election on the federal level or the Fonnie Willis trial of him trying to steal the election in Georgia. We're not talking about the stolen top secret documents in Florida federal case. We're not talking about Alvin Bragg's case in New York for his, you know, hush money payments to try to commit campaign finance fraud. We're not even talking about the AZN communications uh, lawsuit where Trump is involved in a pyramid scheme. That's in January. Or E. Jean Carroll's second defamation suit. It's a lot to keep track of. So we want to know what you guys think. We're going to be taking your calls all night long at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. And what is going to happen with Kevin McCarthy? I mean, he's looking at this government shutdown. It's coming. The end of the week is the end of the month. And he has turned to the strategy that 
has helped him keep his hold on the House leadership, but it's also been a sign of chaos, doing whatever the tiny minority of hard-right lawmakers who want to fire him want him to do. I have never seen a guy grovel this much to the people who hate him and want to fire him. We want to know what you guys think. 866-997-4748. There's so much to get to. Donald Trump doesn't know which Bush was president. You hear about this? We'll be right back in a moment with the great Sabrina Shankman of the Boston Globe. This is Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. And welcome back. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm so happy to welcome our next guest to the show. Now, you guys already know large swaths of the Sun Belt were hit by the hottest meteorological summer on record. I mean, like, we know the science that that these extreme heat events are going to keep on increasing because the climate's still getting warmer, and that's because of human emissions of greenhouse gas. But we just had the hottest June, the hottest July, and the hottest August ever recorded on the globe. In Corpus Christi, Texas, they tied or beat 28 daily temperature records. New Orleans and San Antonio each had 26. Now, a new study from the Woodwell Climate Research Center published earlier this month in the journal Science Advances warns that very regular bouts of deadly heat, not just unpleasant, but lethal heat, are coming sooner than science had expected or hoped. The study finds that hundreds of millions of humans live in places that will regularly experience heat and humidity so high 
that humans won't be able to survive without some kind of cooling. So I'm so thrilled to welcome our next guest. Sabrina Shankman covers the climate crisis for the Boston Globe. She joined the newspaper in 2021 after reporting for eight years at Inside Climate News, where she covered the Arctic. And she's produced shows at PBS and Frontline and reported for ProPublica. Her new piece is a must-read. And she just joined our friend, Rain Wilson, in a fireside chat at the Globe Summit last week uh, to discuss the intersection of climate and spirituality. She is a true journalist who's really doing the work that matters. It's a pleasure to welcome Sabrina Shankman to SiriusXM. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that very kind introduction. Well, thank you. I love your work, and honestly, I, I just feel like this is the most important journalism that can be done for our planet and the people who live on it right now. I guess we shouldn't be surprised to find that it's getting hotter, but regular bouts of deadly heat are coming sooner than expected. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the study and why it disturbed you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this was, I'm going to be honest, like I've been doing this for more than a decade, specifically reporting on climate change. And this was sort of a tough one to write. It just was, it was like a hard study to read. It was just a kind of upsetting um, on a lot of levels. And the reason is this, we've known for years that there's like this threshold that the human body of what we can withstand, right? How much heat, how much humidity, what, what can we physiologically survive? And there has been this expectation that the point at which we would be surpassing that would come, but likely not until the planet had warmed around five degrees Celsius, which equals about nine degrees Fahrenheit. And that's not, that wasn't expected to happen until the end of the century right. under worst case scenarios, right? So what this study does is it changes the timeline in this incredibly remarkable way, finding that at two degrees Celsius of warming, this is expected to happen in large parts of the world, which is something that we're anticipating seeing around the middle of the century. I mean, I've got I've got little kids like they're going to be in college when when there are these events that are expected to happen where there could be just mass fatalities. And I mean, what we're talking about is, as you say in the piece, periods of heat and humidity that are so great that in parts of the world, humans will not be able to survive unless they have some kind of source of cooling. Right. So what the scientists define as that point is this combination of heat and humidity where you're about 95 degrees Fahrenheit and about 100 percent humidity. It could also be uh, you know, a higher temperature and a slightly lower humidity, but that's about the balance. And what they find is, you know, you could be lying in the shade for several hours and you still would not be able to survive it. Um, it's just being outside without access to a fan or air conditioner would do it. How, how many hours at 95 degrees and 100% humidity would it take yeah. to, to be lethal? Six. Six hours. But again, this is this is pretty conservative. Yeah. At all climate science, despite what those who oppose the realities of climate change might might want to say, all climate science is very conservative. I they're agree. always <laughs> they're always hewing to the 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 most conservative finding. Um, can, I ask, can I ask why that is? I mean, yeah. are, is there a is there a general concern in the community of seeming like a chicken little and, and overstating the case? We've heard lots of critiques levied at people who made predictions that turned out to be false for the turn of the century. Are they deliberately conservative uh, because of a scientific reason or is it more because of the the mixed reaction they get from the public 
I mean, you could definitely imagine how it could be political based on how science has been politicized when it comes to climate change in particular. But I really think it has to just do with good scientific practice of never wanting to overstate what your findings show. And so trying to to really hew to the most conservative thing that you can confidently say. Right. So the earlier study said that these kind of extreme heat waves would only happen with with extreme warming. And as you said, that was supposed to be closer to the, the end of the century. This study moves that timeline up. Let me ask, where will this lethal heat prospectively cause the most damage and suffering? Yeah, what the researchers did that I thought was really cool is and tragic, but they they made these maps that show, you know, maps of the world that show at each increment of warming where these episodes could be expected to happen and with what frequency. So what's the likelihood of a of a one in five year event, one in 100 year event at each of these locations at different points of warming. And, you know, when you get to this two degrees Celsius of warming in particular, um, around the middle of the century, you, it's, it's really like, you know, if you look across the mid latitudes, I mean, you could look as high up as the Boston area where I'm, where I cover, you know, it's a little less frequent there, but, you know, Southern parts of the United States, um, and really across the mid latitudes, there's this expectation that it could be happening with, with some regularity. So, I mean, in some ways it's a, it's a warning, right? Like this is not tomorrow. It, it is slightly down the road and there are these mitigation you know, approaches that we can take by getting better air conditioner, by making sure that the most vulnerable populations among us have access to cooling, have places to go. You know, if done right, there is time to make sure that these incredibly extreme events don't turn into mass casualty events. If done wrong, that's that's a lot on our hands. And geographically, where are they projecting this to cause the most suffering? I mean, truly, it's I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at a map of it right now. It's like if you let's see at two degrees Celsius, I mean, you're looking at a lot of South America, um, a lot of the northern Africa. All of India is just a bright purpley red. The northern parts of Australia, the the southeastern United States um, stretching into Mexico, lower California stretching into Mexico as well. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a lot. It's across the across the planet different different pockets you know when you get further to the extremes the northern and the southern poles it's less impacted at that temperature although as it gets warmer that the the impacted area extends further exactly and we're not just talking about lethal heat i mean lethal heat means yes more intense heat waves but it also means more wildfires more flooding hotter oceans which means more and more intense hurricanes doesn't it yeah, now you're 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 landing right in the vortex of why this was such a hard thing to report because it is it is never just one thing with climate change. We're in this interrelated, interconnected system where one effect is always followed by others that affect others, and there are these tipping points along the way. So, 95 degrees Fahrenheit and 100 percent humidity. The authors of the study do note that these sort of events have already happened in parts of the world already, haven't they? That's right. They have. Yeah. I mean, not with great frequency, but it definitely does happen. And I'm sure most people can recall seeing, um, you know, a headline about something in, you know, in Dubai or, you know, some some part of the desert areas of the of the world where there have been these incredibly shockingly high temperatures and, and humidity events. The thing that's different about those events, which have not 
typically caused mass casualties. And the ones that the authors are talking about is that in those cases, those are happening in places that are accustomed to having extreme heat just by nature of where they are in their geography. What's different is with this study, we're looking at areas that are not actually prepared for this amount of heat because it's not what they've historically been exposed to. You mentioned in the piece that during Boston's most recent heat wave, you got to 93 Fahrenheit and 76 percent humidity. Obviously, Boston and New England are very good at preparing for cold. How can societies begin to prepare for this? Yeah, it's a it's a big shift in thinking, right? I mean, Boston, we are so good at cold. We are so good at snow. Throw that at us, we got it. But when it comes to heat, I mean, there's a um there's a really wonderful institution out of Harvard that looks specifically at public health and the intersection of health and, and climate change. And, you know, they said, you know, in it's in places like New England that are not prepared for extreme heat that they see the biggest health impacts, even now when there are major heat waves, the kind of which we were not really experiencing 20, 30 years ago, because our buildings aren't prepared. Air conditioning is not as prevalent as it is in other parts of the country, even. And just our ways of life, like traveling on the T, uh, we're outside in certain areas. There's a lot of urban heat deserts where there just are not trees it all adds up to a a big risk. You, of course, have won many awards for your journalism. And as someone who covers this professionally, it's fair to say you are more deeply informed than the average American. What do you wish the average American would finally understand about climate change? Well, two things. I'm always hoping that people wake up to the urgency of this crisis and recognize that it if it's not already affecting you it will really soon and it, and it probably already is in some way whether you're aware of it or not and the other one i want the thing that i want people to know is that they should also have some hope that there are incredibly smart and passionate people who are working on every facet of this response and if if we can all you know listen to that and engage with that and support that this doesn't have to be quite as inaccessible and scary as it feels right now. Sabrina Shankman covers the climate crisis for the Boston Globe. You're invited back here any time to talk about this. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Oh, thanks so much. I really have appreciated this. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Shankman or you can um, follow my work at Boston Globe. Brilliant. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Corey Glover and Vernon Reed of the band Living Color to talk about Jan Wenner's really, really unfortunate career capping sexism and racism. Good God. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. 
friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. We talk about not only the legal issues of the day, but we also talk about the need to reform ethics in our government. Here's one example, the oath of office. You know the one. I do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Let's add 22 words to that oath. Quote, and I will promptly report any instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. Friends, our democracy is worth fighting for. Join us in this fight because justice matters. Look for Justice Matters wherever you ordinarily find your podcasts. Welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. I'm very excited to welcome these two guests. I'm not excited about the reason I'm welcoming these two guests. You know Jan Wenner, founder of Rolling Stone. Well, with his wife's money, of course. Uh, The driving force behind the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not having a good week. His new book is coming out. It's called The Masters. And it's Jan's interviews with great musicians, Bono and Bob Dylan, Jerry Garcia, Pete Townsend. Some of these guys have done this show, uh, and it calls the Masters the Mount Olympus of rock. Although apparently, according to Jan Wenner, the Mount Olympus doesn't have any women or black musicians. And when David Marchese of the New York Times was pressing Jan Wenner about this in an interview, he said, well, uh, uh, insofar as women, none of them were as articulate enough on this intellectual level. And he went on to name check like Marvin Gaye and Curtis Mayfield and Stevie Wonder, but he stuck to his articulate reasoning. Yeah, what a mess. So he's gotten a lot of criticism about this. It's very ugly. And the most pointed thing I've read was the joint statement from the members of a band that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. God damn it. Living Color. Their response said in part his New York Times interview statement that African-American and female artists are not articulate enough to express themselves about their own work is absurd on its face. For someone who has chronicled the musical landscape for over 50 years, it is an insult to those of us who sit at the feet of these overlooked geniuses. I'm so pleased to welcome back to our show, Vernon Reed, who is the Grammy award-winning guitarist, composer, and visual artist who's worked with everyone from Carlos Santana to Public Enemy. And of course, Mr. Corey Glover, the Grammy award-winning singer and actor who's a lead vocalist of the band Living Color. These guys have continued to push the musical landscape. The best metal version of a Biggie Small song you will ever hear with Who Shot Ya. I'm so pleased to welcome Vernon and Corey back to Sirius XM. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thanks for having us, John. Thank you very much. Uh, so Good to see you, John. It's great to see you, Corey. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'll give it to John Wenner. He, he, he made the magazine. He helped make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He, he, he's the driving force apparently behind inducting so many hip hop acts. So okay, but just the myopia, the blind spot to actually call his book the Masters and not even consider in a medium that was built by Little Richard and Chuck Berry to only have Caucasian artists. Were you guys surprised? You know, the thing for me is like, it, it follows a certain narrative that's going on. And, and that narrative is this, that, you know, okay, so Chuck Berry and Little Richard and and Fats Domino, you know, they did it, but we got it from here. Yeah. Like the idea is that it starts with African-Americans and now, rock is rock is essentially white and that's a narrative that's not true 
It's and and that narrative was enforced by what certain institutions decided to pay attention to. And that's the that's been an issue with Rolling Stone from the top. Yeah. Corey? Well, yeah. If the idea that and I've said this in the past that Rolling Stone was a counterculture fanzine, basically. It's on newspaper stock and and the idea that it is now the arbiter of what is and is not a thing just doesn't feel right. Yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't comport with what the idea of the magazine was in the first place. That we happened to be on the cover and that an article happened to be written about us was not because of Jan Wimmer. It was right. because of other people there. Because we were a force to be reckoned with, just like Prince was a force to be reckoned with, just like, you know, Michael Jackson was a force to be reckoned with. You have to deal with that. And the idea that he couldn't see that beyond his old boys club is telling about the culture, about the culture of music, the culture of rock and roll. And we see it for what it is. Right. We see it for what it is. And when and the part of the part of the insult is that we're not supposed to look at what's happening and know what's happening. Right. Like we it's sort of like here's a narrative and it's an imposed narrative. And part of the thing is, well, everybody's going to agree with it. Everybody has to agree to it. So so if and, and this is not even a vibe towards Elvis. And this is a big mistake that people make. People think about animus towards Elvis. Actually, the animus should be directed at Colonel Tom Parker. Thank you. But you know what I mean? But but the idea, the thing is, for a constitutional democracy, right? We rejected kings in the beginning, but we repeatedly, there's a king of swing, there's a king of rock and roll. We, 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 We love monarchies because monarchies... You don't. Nobody gets to vote. They try to you turn. Know, they, no one gets they, the, they try to turn. No one gets the question. Yeah, they try to turn Jesus into a king because that's a lot easier than following his inconvenient teachings. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And the inconvenient facts. Part of the thing is that we have a notion of bias and racism that's really kind of tied to catastrophism, right? That is, we're more comfortable thinking of the white hooded, the burning cross. And the person being being castrated and hung, that's people think of that the most violent, horrible things as racism. And that's the outer edge of it. There's all kinds of other subtleties that go under the radar, but they're shadowed by the horrific things. So when you see what happened with George Floyd, it's sadistic and horrific and it shocks the will and the conscience. But what goes under the radar is segregated school, segregated school districts. Oh, yeah. You know, the Voter fact that redlining. Laws. Yep. You know what I mean? And one of them, you know, and the other thing is different, different outcomes for the same crime. So if a kid is caught shoplifting, you know, like if, if there are two kids, you know, black girl, white girl. Well, you know, the white girl might be sent away with a warning and the black girl's got handcuffs on her. Right. Or one kid's like is talking in class and they're told to pipe down. But the other kid is sent to detention and that and those disparities start from very small and they keep on 
going. So it's 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 wild to consider a magazine, a magazine that's done great things. But I, I'll put it to you like this. Lester Banks, who was recognized as a legendary journalist, was fired from Rolling Stone because he became uncomfortable with Yan Winter hanging out with his rich, successful friends. Like, like there's a quote, like Lester Banks said, if you really offend to them, you would not hang out with them and you would be ruthlessly honest about their work. And he got right. yeah. it got kicked out, right? So th- it's a pattern. It's not just the the sexism and the racism. It's somebody quoted this and, and coined this rockism. There's certain rock uh. bands, certain styles that just would not pass muster. Metal was ignored for years. Yeah. Certain bands when the, the prog scene ignored for years. Disco and right? punk. Completely. Disco and punk ignored. Disco and punk. Exactly. You know, people claim that disco died. It didn't die. It transmogrifies. But it, it and it turned into modern day R&B and hip hop. But if we were to look at the the life of Jan Wormer, and, and I, I really don't want to, but if we had to, the idea that he went from being this college kid in his dorm writing this fanzine to being uh, hobnobbing with the rich and famous, his worldview completely changes. It completely narrows. It completely turns into, well, this is my, this is was my access. And this is how my access looks like. This is what my access looks like. So that's not going to change. And one one of the things I wanted to, to capitalize on what Vern said, the insidiousness of racism is that it's a, it's a pebble in a pond that it reaches out, it may not be as strong as, as as insidious racism, but it continues and continues on for infinity until the water is still. I don't need to tell you, you know, if, guys, how many Caucasians think, well, it's not racism unless a white person hears another white person say the N-word on tape. And what you were talking about before, Vernon, seems like the difference between rank, brutal bigotry and Ordinary institutionalized racism, the the unconscious bias that, you know, Jan Wenner right. and whoever's in his circle could see this book was all white men about the great names in rock. And it's called The Masters. And nobody in any of the rooms or the publisher seemed to have ever occurred to them that it, that might be problematic. You know, and this is part of the thing. And part of the thing is what's funny about it is this is so self-inflicted. He could have just said conversations and and just, he could have just said conversations and just the lit, just the names alone yeah. would have would have done the work. He, you know what I mean? And he could have just said he could have said, you know, he could have if he said, yo, me and my friends, a little more problematic, but still it's him and his mates. Yeah. Who's gonna I mean, you know, but when you say, okay, when they when he's questioned about it, his answer is so shocking on one hand, but also it's kind of like, of course it is. Of course, you know, he's, he's he, the most offensive thing was when he said, well, maybe for publicity's sake, I should have included a woman and a black oh. who are not up to the uh, not up to the historical standard like that is it. That's the way he said just, that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I should have put in a token and I'd have been saved all this mess. That is the most revelatory thing. That's the Absolutely. most revelatory thing in the whole sequence. I couldn't mention. I'm sorry, but it's but it speaks to the gatekeeping that we we mentioned in our in, in our piece. Yes, concisely, that speaks to it completely. Like because who would he have picked as these uh, this this woman and the black 
that he was going to find for this thing. Yeah. That, that, that would speak to it just as much as anything else that he's done, including who he lets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let me quote your amazing piece. You wrote, to hear that Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell, Tina Turner, or any of the many women artists that he chooses not to mention are not worthy of the status of master, smacks of sexist gatekeeping, and exclusionary behavior. I want to thank you for that sentence on behalf of everybody who's outraged that Tracy Chapman and Sinead O'Connor are still not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's not just Rolling Stone, it's the whole culture. Right. You know, part of the thing, you know, with Living Color, we're connected to Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger heard us, and he went out of his way to to to, to be an ally, to support us. I saw you open and, for them. Yeah, One of the exactly. best shows of my life. It, and, and, and we're incredibly grateful and thankful for it. But here's the thing to think about. When Mick Jagger saw us, we were a local New York band. And at that time, there was a whole ecosystem of clubs and what have you. And we had built our following show by show. We built our following. And basically, we did the path of other rock and roll bands. You know what I mean? That's kind of what yep. you do. It's like a farm system. You know, whether you're in Athens, Georgia, or you're in Seattle, or LA or in New York, you know, you come up and you come up through the scrimmage, you build your following, the AR men come, they go, you know what, we'll take a shot. It took the most famous person, literally at that time, there was nobody more famous in rock and roll music for us to get a hearing. And and when you put it in that term, you're right. It's it's extra it's extraordinary that other bands come up and AR and man will say, you know what, man, I dig your sound. We're going to give you a development deal, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. But we had to get the most famous person in the whole genre to say these guys are good. And then even with that, our record came out and, you know, I mean, and we were still, you know, you know, that line forms to the left. You know what I mean? So, uh, so many unlikely things had to happen. But that one particular thing, when you think that the most famous person in the genre has to say they're cool, that's oppressive. If you can't come up through the regular system yeah. of being considered like other bands, and you have to have the most famous person in literally in the world to say these guys are cool, that's right. great. And that seems like, and that's luck, but that's but it's also oppressive correct think of it from another through another lens absolutely absolutely and you know you i mean you're right at some point this celebrity i think becomes like its own ethnic group i think at some point the star fucking and the addiction to being around famous faces becomes how someone identifies and they have no perspective anymore so i want to ask how you feel about the fact that the only person who didn't vote to oust jan wenner from the board of directors of the rock and roll hall of fame was John Landau, who used to write for Rolling Stone, and of course, um, is Bruce Springsteen's longtime manager. Well, I, I, I did a follow-up sometime after we wrote this thing, and that said, it's, I, I'm, I appreciate you, you doing what you're doing, but what's next for you? Is it just the apology, and is, this, is it the lip service that you gave that you, in your quote that we are still, uh, we're still trying to live up to the idea of diversity and inclusion and this, that, and the third, and not doing it and not doing anything about it. You can say as much as you want to, but how does that reflect in the culture? How does that change anything? 
How does how does not having Jan Wormer there change the dynamics of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? How does it change the overall dynamics of what Little Lee had to do at Rolling Stone magazine? How does this change? My question to Mr. Landau is, what are you going to do to make to, to make a change? And if there's nothing to be said, then you tacitly agree with Jan Wormer yeah. to me. And yeah, you, kinda... go on, Vern. No, no, no. You're you're making a solid point, and part of it is uh, John Landau's uh, his his reasoning. He said, "Well." What he did was unacceptable, but he's been, he, you know, he did all these wonderful, he started his Rock Roll Hall of Fame and he, he didn't want the vote to be totally unanimous. But like Corey says, well, he starts out with, you know, it was unacceptable, but I made, it was a, it was a gesture. Okay. So what's your next gesture? Going right. To? Exactly. Right on. Right on. Gentlemen, I'm so glad you're speaking out about this. I, I have to tell you, you're one of the best live fans I've ever seen. I thank you for making rock and metal so much better. I think you raised the Rolling Stones game, no doubt. What's next for the band? I'm dying to see you guys on the road again and, and hoping for more studio recordings. We, um, we've been on, we just finished a, a I mean, a, about a seven week run um, doing shows on our own, but doing shows uh, alongside extreme, you know, yes. they're, 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 at, and there is a, it's been really fun. A lot of sold out shows. We're going to be doing a, a run of shows on our own in Europe, but we'll be back in the States with extreme as well as doing, uh, our own shows. We're going to be playing a festival in New Orleans on October the 6th. And, uh, we'll, we will be around to be seen and heard, uh, in the States and in Europe. Please, please, please come back on our show anytime. Gentlemen, this platform is always open to you to for anything you want to discuss in culture or in politics. I thank you guys for making music so much better and, thank and for you, being John. so fearless. I, I, I am a, I'm a huge fan of your platform. I think this is great. I think, I think what you do, what you're doing is amazing. I, I, I love what you both create. So it's my honor. Have a great, great Can I say one last yeah, thing? Yeah, Vernon, Can please. I say one last please. thing? Okay, very quick, very quickly. Um, yesterday, there... I, it came to my attention that Robin Trower is, is on the, the app formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. He had less than 10,000 followers. And I mounted this little campaign for people to follow. Him, and now he has 10K plus. And I've started one right now for Mr. Robert Cray. Mr. Yes. Robert Cray had un, has under 7,000 followers. Yes. And, and I'm encouraging people. This is a new campaign. Joe Bonamassa jumped greatest on Greatest guitarist I'm alive. Tr- yes. Trying to get, trying to get Mr. Robert Cray, like five Grammys later, he should have at least 10K followers. I'm going to help with that. This Man was the best song about Donald Trump ever written. It was our opening theme for a year. I love Robert Cray. Vernon Reed and Corey Glover, I love you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Come back anytime. Love you too, John. We got to hit a quick one. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. 
Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. And we are back. Our number, by the way, is 866-997-4748. Thea, you, you didn't know Living Color, right? I, I'm I, My producer, you... you had no before your time no, didn't know him no okay you, i know i know the show in living color yeah that came later oh the band was first oh yeah but, but you're apologies. close that, no that's okay they were a great band they should you should know them because they should be in the rock and roll hall of fame but fucking Jan wenner i'm hoping after all this they will finally get in yeah vernon reed has worked with everybody he's produced madeline pay yeah, it sounds well you were talk about his resume sounds amazing so. oh yeah public enemy santana he's just he's just the best and we'll be taking your calls all night long. We have a lot, and I mean a lot, we have to get to. Uh, it was a pretty crazy day in the news. I want to wish a couple of happy birthdays. Number one, happy 72nd birthday to a friend of this show who's done our show a bunch of times, Mr. Mark Hamill, who has magical powers. Uh, it's also the birthday of the late Christopher Reeve. He would have been 71 today. Michael Madsen, born in the state in 1957. Heather Locklear. Our good friend Tate Donovan is 60 today. Happy birthday to Maria Doyle Kennedy. Scotty Pippen, born in the state in 1965. Uh, Will Smith is uh, 55 years old today. Happy birthday to Catherine Zeta-Jones. And uh, T.I., Donald Glover, is 40 years young today. Fletcher Christian, born in the state in 1764. William Faulkner's got a birthday. Mark Rothko has a birthday today from 1903. Barbara Walters was born on this date in 1929. Shel Silverstein, my God, if you're born September 25th, you got a cool freaking birthday. Uh, Robert Gates, the former Secretary of Defense. I, I wanted to buy his memoir, but I decided to wait till I could get it delivered by drone. Cheryl Teagues, Pedro Almodovar. Michael Douglas is 79 years. Michael Douglas and his wife have the same birthday? That's, that's too much kink for me. Santa Gold, the best uh, dance singer you don't know. And of course, happy birthday to our good friend, Hal Sparks, born this date in 1969. Hal and I will be on stage in just a month in Los Angeles at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills for Stephanie Miller's sexy liberal comedy tour. It's going to be a really big show. Frangela will be with us. I'm doing a big set. It's going to have a special guest, including, oh my God, Glenn Kirshner, Rob Reiner, and... Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman, will be joining us on stage. 
Uh, if you can't make it to the show in Los Angeles, don't worry. We're going to live stream it. You can get the pay-per-view at sexyliberal.com. And I promise I'll only promote this about a thousand times between now and October 21st. But come, it's going to be a great one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.